Hey family, Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church. We've got a message for you today that I believe God gave me to bring strength and hope and joy to your journey. I want you to get your heart open. I want you to get ready to receive this word. I don't believe your life's ever gonna be the same again. God's getting ready to take you to a new level. I'll see you at the end of this message and we'll pray together. God bless, enjoy this word. I want you to go to Luke 9, verse 51. Today I'm going to start a new series for the next several weeks called Journey to Jerusalem, the Journey to Jerusalem. And we are coming close to that time of the year where we have Resurrection Sunday, Palm Sunday, and all of the wonderful holy days of our faith. And I felt the Lord prompt me to examine the journey of Jesus over these next several weeks. And what starts here in Luke chapter 9, the 51st verse as you will see and as I will, will teach this morning, I pray, we'll have an understanding of what this journey felt like for Jesus and what this journey looked like for Jesus. Because there is a moment where he turns his attention toward Jerusalem and he understands that for the purpose in which the Father sent him is now about to be accomplished and it cannot be done in any other place but this amazing city. So we're going to take this journey to Jerusalem, and today I want to preach what I believe is a heavy message, but also a challenge, because sometimes you don't need to shout, sometimes you need to cry. Sometimes we need to become aware of the state of our soul and make sure that we have our situation and our affairs and our heart in order. And how many know that God is far more concerned with our character development than he is our fake comfort? And so today, this is a challenging word, and I prayed that God would give it, uh, give me the grace and the love to preach it and the clarity of mind to say it because we live in a day where people will take little parts of what you say and try to make you say something you didn't say. But I'm going to say what God told me to say. And you can clip it and rip it and do whatever you want to with it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to lay my head down knowing I finished my assignment as your pastor. Luke 9, verse 51. And my message this morning is called The Price of Prejudice. The Price of Prejudice. How many know prejudice has a high price? And yes, I'm going to talk about prejudice. The kind that you don't want me to talk about. The kind that you're hoping I'm not preaching about. I'm preaching about it this morning. Luke 9, verse 51. When you have it, say amen. The Bible says in Luke 9, 51, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. They did not receive him. Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, 
Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Lord, have mercy. They, did, they asked this just as Elijah did, but he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. They asked, do you want us to call fire down and destroy them like Elijah did? And Jesus looked at them and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what spirit you are of. And I wonder if there are people in this room today who don't know what spirit they are of. And I want to preach today until the truth penetrates my heart and our heart. Because we're living in a society and in a moment in history that is more tribal and divisive than any other moment I believe in history. And I know I'm right on this because the Bible says in the Gospel of St. Matthew that in the last days the love of many would wax cold. And I see a real loss of that fervent kind of agape love and I see a whole lot of hatefulness in this world God don't let it get in the hearts of his people how many want your heart to stay on fire with the love of God I know you want to talk in tongues but we're not known by our tongues we're known by our fruit and the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against such there is no limit or law so if you need just a checkup today, I think all of us do. How many want to leave this place with our roots deeper in the grace of God and our fruit growing greater than we've ever experienced before? If that's you, say amen. Help me, God, today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today we begin a new series called Journey to Jerusalem. And over the next several weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, I felt compelled to look at the journey of Jesus. A journey that began in this decisive and transitional passage here in Luke 9, 51. Rarely has one scripture ever given such a definitive change and such a real announced directional shift as Luke 9, 51. It said that he turned his attention. One translation said he set his face like a flint toward the city of Jerusalem. And this is interesting to me because he is experiencing at this point in his ministry tremendous success. In Luke 9, 51, the Bible said he turned his face toward Jerusalem. But you must understand that he does so having turned the entire region of Galilee upside down. By the time we get to Luke 9, 51, there was not a town, a hamlet, a village, or a group of people that had not heard about the miraculous power of Jesus. His influence and fame filled that entire region. 
The kingdom had been successfully preached and demonstrated. Satan and the rank-and-file powers of the underworld had become very much aware of the lordship and the messiahship of Jesus Christ. The sick had been healed. The possessed had been set free. Blind men were walking around the city with their sight. The paralytics had been healed of their paralysis. And yet in all of this ministerial accomplishment, the purpose for which he came could not be completed in Galilee or Capernaum. He had to go to Jerusalem, for it was there in Jerusalem that Scripture would be fulfilled. He would pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. And there in that city, he would complete the mission for which the Father had sent him. So Luke the physician says that in spite of all of the ministerial success, he turns his face toward Jerusalem and he sets his course toward that city of God. We need to understand that this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem typically only took about three days in length. But as you will discover if you read from Luke 9 to Luke 19, where he actually comes into the city, he actually took a three-day journey and it turned into about a six-month trip because as he left Galilee to head to Jerusalem, there were some stories that had to happen and some lessons that had to be told. And he takes this small company of disciples who follow him and over these next several weeks, we will follow this journey Jesus took from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's almost like his farewell tour. It's almost like his final uh, teaching, his final saying. He's, he knows as he looks toward Jerusalem that his days are numbered. His time is limited. So the stories that we're going to read over the next several weeks are not just casual uh, uh, happenings, but these are intentional stories told of the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's stories about his disciples and the crowd and the people. And I think what he tells us on his way to, to Jerusalem really reveals the content of his heart. How many know if you were on your way to die and you knew you had a limited amount of time in which you were going to live, how many recognize that the days you had left would be days filled with intentionality? So what we're going to read today and next Sunday and over the next few weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, what we're going to teach and what we're going to see is not just another uh, 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 submission of sermon material. This is really at the core of the mission of Jesus and at the heart of God. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9, 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day he will be raised to life. How many know nobody took his life? He laid it down, and if he laid it down, he said, I got the power to raise it up again. For Jesus, this trip to Jerusalem meant suffering and death. And as Jesus walks toward Jerusalem, he walks toward his death sentence. And yet as he approaches the city of certain death, there are these lessons that he teaches us on this journey to Jerusalem, and each message we will talk about is as profound as it is simple. 
So for these next several weeks, I want to talk about the journey of Jesus and these few disciples that they took to Jerusalem. And today, the first lesson of this journey to Jerusalem is a painful lesson. It is a sobering lesson. It is a lesson that we don't want to talk about much in the church. It's a lesson that we want, and unfortunately, we have allowed loudmouth people in our society to shape the narrative of this conversation. And because churches have refused to talk about it, the void and the vacuum created by our silence has allowed, in my opinion, demon-possessed people to insert their version of this stuff. And this is why sometimes in church you need to hear messages you don't like to hear. This is why sometimes in churches you need to hear messages that challenge you and that challenge me. Because church is not where we go to get the, the meal of our choice. Church is where we go to get the stuff that we don't want to get in our own Bible study. We need, we need the truth sometimes to make us free. This is a painful lesson but it is the lesson of prejudice. And it is the story, if you can read between the lines here, it is the story of the price of prejudice because my prejudice and your prejudice cost us something. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, he's going to leave Galilee and head to Jerusalem. And he is intentionally going to go to a village filled with Samaritan people. Now, this is interesting. And I think in order for you to understand and grasp the significance of this, you, you need, and I need to be quickly reminded and reacquainted with the reality of the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans among most Jewish people were called half-breeds. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you what history reveals. History says that the Jewish people despised the Samaritan folk. And the Samaritan folk despised the Jewish people. And we get Samaritans from the Old Testament where the leftover Israelites who were not exported into Babylonian captivity mix and mingle with uh, other nations, Gentile nations. And so you had, you had Jewish people marrying Gentile people and that's why they called them half-breeds because they weren't completely Jewish, they weren't completely Gentile and because they struggled in their identity, they did something that many of us do when we struggle with our identity. We create our own version of it. We create our own version of truth. We create our own understanding of truth. We create our own way of worshiping. We create our own way of living. And, and, and that is exactly what the Samaritans did. They, they had their own place of worship. They built their own temple. They had their own form of worship. And they were despised by the Jews, and the Jews, and the Jews were despised by these Samaritans. So when Jesus says, I'm going to turn my face toward Jerusalem and I'm going to leave Galilee where I've had all this ministerial success and I'm going to head to Jerusalem and the first city that I'm going to go through on my way to my destiny is a Samaritan city filled with people who don't like me and my people don't like them. 
I know it'd be quiet, but this is rare. And he sends two envoys ahead of him to prepare that city of Samaritans for his arrival. He doesn't just want to show up and shock the people. He wants to send James and John ahead so that they can do the preliminary work and have things prepared in the atmosphere for when he arrives. Oh, I wish I had time to teach this. Because sometimes we just want to, bam, bust people in the face with Jesus and do no preliminary work. And sometimes there are people who are sent ahead to prepare atmospheres. Where in the world am I preaching today? Can I tell you that sometimes cities need to be prepared for the arrival of Jesus? They need to have, come on, when friends come over to your house, you don't have your mess just laying all over the place. Well, maybe you do, but in my house, we don't do that. We don't have the kitchen a wreck and the living room a wreck and the bedroom a wreck. How many know when people are coming, you get the house put in order? That's why we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare cities, villages, places where people live to prepare for the arrival of, come on in here and talk to me, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 said, there is a voice of one crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. The king is coming and when he comes, he cannot be walking on a crooked road or a valley road or he doesn't need to be climbing over a mountain. He needs people to go before him to open up their mouth and prepare the way. Look at somebody tell him the king is coming. The king is coming. If the king is going to visit Chattanooga, you and I have got some work to do in announcing to this city, come on, that the king is on his way. When he comes, I don't want it to be hard for Jesus. When he comes, I want him to be able to heal and save. I don't want him to be fighting a spirit of unbelief and dishonor. I want the house to be set and the place to be ready for the arrival of the king. So sometimes what we have to do is the hard work in the church of preparing the city. So he sends James and John ahead of him to prepare the way. And he goes into this city to announce that the king is coming. And when he gets there, when they get there, they say, y'all, you won't believe this. Galilee has experienced the move of God. Everybody's getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. Joy is breaking out. People are getting freed and delivered. And guess what he said? He's coming to this city next. And what did the Samaritans do? The Samaritans who knew they had an appointment with Jesus said, we don't want him to come. What? Everywhere he goes, he runs the devil out of business. Everywhere he goes, he's turning the city on its ear. Everywhere he goes, he's turning lives upside down. Everywhere he goes, he's taking the broken and mending the broken heart. He's taking the troubled and bringing peace. Everywhere he goes, he's putting families back together. And, and you don't want him to come? I want to tell you right now, not everybody who goes to church wants Jesus to show up. Not everybody who goes to church wants Jesus to show up. And this is what's crazy to me. And this is not going to be a long sermon today. This is going to be like that antibiotic shot you get. Bam, real quick. 
It's going to be like, whoa, that hurt. And five minutes later, it ain't going to be able to feel it. You, you're just going to, you're going to receive the benefits of it. Come on, somebody. They said, I can see them now. You don't want them to come. Wait a minute, you're rejecting Jesus? Yeah, and let me tell you why they rejected him. First, they rejected Jesus because he was a Jew. And they were Samaritans, and they had staked out their territory and didn't want a Jewish man walking on their Samaritan property. This is a manifestation of first century prejudice. I'm getting ready to do it right here. This is, uh-oh, hold on, buckle up, racial prejudice. To hate a people simply because of their race, their difference, their color, their nationality. And I don't know about you, but I'm sort of sick of the prioritization and the emphasis we have put on the package in America. We look at people and like these Samaritans said to Jesus, you are too Jewish. You are too olive tone in your skin. Or you are too white for me. Or you are too black for me. I'm getting ready to say your thing in a minute. Or you are too Republican for me. Or you are too Democrat for me. Jesus, we don't want you to come because you weren't born from us and you're not part of us. I want to go on record today, and I need to take a pause from talking to you, and I want to talk to Jesus for just a moment in the middle of my message. And I want to go on record telling Jesus a few things this morning. Number one, Lord, I don't care about the hue of your skin tone. Number two, Lord, I don't care about the color of your complexion. Number three, Lord, it doesn't matter to me if you were red, brown, yellow, green, or white. I don't care if your hair flip-flopped in the noonday breeze or if your hair dripped with jerry curl. I don't care what color your skin was. What I want you to know is that I am thankful that no matter what color your package was, no matter what nationality you were, you were more than a Jewish man. You were the Lamb of God. And your skin might have been olive. Your skin might have been brown. Your skin might have been white. But your blood was holy and it was red. And I want to thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus, who came through the womb of a virgin, was born in the fullness of time, and because he was holy, he made all of us holy. He made all of us righteous, not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his holy blood. Somebody give him praise. As long as his blood was holy and red, the mental can have a new mind. The sin-sick soul has a savior. The psychotic can be free from their psychosis. Lord, forgive us for arguing over your color and help us remind this world that your blood still has power. 
I said his blood still has power. I'm watching who's leaving. He was rejected. He, uh, he was rejected by the Samaritans. Number one, because of their racial prejudice. You better be careful who you hate because they don't look like you. Not only did they reject him because of their racial prejudice, they, re they rejected him because of their religious prejudice. We think sometimes the only kind of prejudice that exists in the world is black and white. But you are in a myopic place if you think the only place prejudice exists is between black and white people in the in southern part of North America. Prejudice exists all over this world. You go to Ireland and Northern Ireland is fighting with Southern Ireland. You go to South Africa and they're fighting. There is prejudice everywhere. And I'll tell you why, because it's a demon. It is influenced by devils. It is the antithesis of the kingdom of God for you to hate somebody simply because they don't look like you. Because what you are suggesting is that your type is superior to everyone else. But I want to tell you right now, your type is the same type as them. And what's crazy is the very people you hate on for their difference, God may be using them and positioning them to be a significant contributor in your life. And you say, well, I don't know, I don't, yeah, you know, if you're dying, it don't matter what color the nurse is that puts the defibrillator on your chest. You just start saying, help. So the text is clear that beyond racial prejudice, now I want you to look at the text. Because I didn't come to eisegete the text, I came to exegete the text. Isogeting the text is dangerous. Let me teach y'all this. Say isogete. When you isogete the text, it means you read the text and you imply your understanding into the text. But when you exegete the text, you do not come to the Bible to tell the Bible what you think it says. You read the Bible objectively under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost so that the Holy Ghost can tell you what you need to hear from the Bible. This is why we got screwed up churches because we got pastors who eisegete the text and preach you their political conviction. I'm getting ready to say a thing. They, pre they preach their political conviction, but they don't preach the Bible. So we got people who, oh yes, we got people who are so screwed up because they think their bishop who talks in tongues and drives a Mercedes Benz is necessarily a, a voice of truth. But if you're not careful, you will migrate to what you want to hear and they won't tell you what you need to hear. I am doing it right today. Religious prejudice. Let me, let me, let me do The text is clear. This is not eisegetical. This is exegetical. The Bible says in Luke 9, verse 53, they did not receive him. Look at it. They did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means that because he was on his way to Jerusalem to worship and not on his way to their temple to worship, 
They said, no, he can't come if he ain't going to worship the way we worship. What time is it? Y'all, it's early. We got a while. I feel like there's some people who feel like a frog in a hot skillet right now. You don't know how to jump out. You're trying to find a way out of here. We've locked the doors. You can't go nowhere. They said, you can't come here because you don't worship like we worship. This is as bad as racial prejudice, religious prejudice. Racial prejudice is, I don't like you because your skin tone. How stupid. I said how. I said stupid in the house of the Lord. Because there's not a better word and a more fitting description of what it is when you write somebody off simply because they don't look like you. And we got these crazy people who say they mean well, but they say foolish stuff like this. God is colorblind. No, he ain't. He ain't colorblind. You wish he was colorblind. Because if he were colorblind, that would mean you were colorblind and it means you didn't have to get over your prejudice in your heart to deal with somebody different than you. But the fact that God is God, let me help y'all, God created color. Why would he preach this message? The church is growing. He's going to kill the church. If I'm killing anything, it's supposed to die. I don't want that growing in this church. The text is clear that beyond typical racial prejudice that existed between Samaritans and Jews, the Samaritans here rejected him because he was on his way to Jerusalem to worship God. Samaritans had their own style, their own brand. They even had their own location for worship. And for Jesus to be passing through their village on his way to worship God in a place that was different than theirs, in a way that was different than theirs, was more than their custom could allow for. And it caused him to reject his arrival. When I made a significant transition in my life almost five years ago now, on the, and I've told you this before, but on the front row of this church on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m. praying and weeping before God, not knowing what my future looked like, I only knew the thing God was calling me to in the moment. And I was on that second row, that second chair right there on that front row weeping before God. And the only thing God told me about my future and the future of this church and our assignment, he said these words, streams will come together. I just, what is that? We're making the biggest decision of our life, getting ready to walk away from, from, from favor and open doors, and I need a word, and all you're trying to tell me is that streams are coming together? He said, you don't understand this now, but streams will come together. For the last five years and for the rest of my life, however long God lets me live, God began to give me an understanding that the church has become stream-oriented. We like our stream. And we actually get in our stream and play in our puddle, and we call it the river. Oh, the river of God is here. The river of God is here. Never mind, everybody looks like you. Come on, come 
Never mind everybody sings like you and dresses like you. Never mind everybody talks the same way and all your tongues sound the same. That ain't the river of God. The river of God does not consist of me and you finding our favorite stream and jumping in that and calling that the river. That ain't the river. It's a stream. But Psalm 46 said there is a river whose streams. The river of God is not a stream. It's streams. I'm going to preach this until every hillbilly gets delivered. I'm going to preach this until every mad black woman gets delivered. I'm going to preach this until we love each other and open up our heart to receive people. You've got a decision to make. I don't. I've already made my mind up. I will not be aligned and I will not be categorized by this kind of church or as that kind of church. I will not stop until heaven looks down and sees every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, every generation coming together. Ready? Even our styles of worship. Some of us are like, we're all in, Pastor. We're all in until we start that boom chick thing. I don't know how to do that. I don't do that. Or some of us are all in while we're boom chick, but when we start that deep, heavy worship and tears start flowing, you start getting on Twitter. I can't go there. That ain't my style. You need to get in the river. Well, I just don't do it like that. This ain't about how you do it or how you was raised to do it. This is about finding how the streams come together. We are living in expedited days. We do not have time to walk or dance or move according to the cadence that has been dictated by a culture that is possessed with this antichrist agenda. And you better hear me. I said antichrist. This is not just difference. There is something altogether missing from some of these conversations. Oh, God. Well, well, it looks churchy. I don't care how churchy it is. I want to know, does it have Jesus in it? Because you can shout, Shanda, Shikimo, fall in the floor. You can even take up a big offering. But if Christ Jesus is not being given the preeminence in all things, if Christ is not being honored in everything, I don't care how churchy it looks, you better run from anything that tells you it's Jesus plus. I said, you better hear me, I said it. You better run from anything that tells you it's Jesus and. Jesus plus this. Oh no, it's Jesus in the morning. It's Jesus in the noontime. And it's Jesus when the sun goes down. It's Jesus when the Republicans got the Oval Office. It's Jesus when the Democrats have an Oval Office. It's Jesus off the top.
So since some of y'all worried about your candidate, I came from with my own candidate today. I said since some of y'all worried about your candidate, I came to campaign for my candidate today. Give me three minutes to campaign and somebody can take my tax exemption for this, but I'm going to campaign for my candidate today. He was born through the womb of a virgin. He came on the backside of a Bethlehem sheep field. When he showed up, angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. When he showed up in Galilee, he made the lame leg walk. Somebody said, what does he do for the social system? He takes the first and makes them the last and he takes the last and he makes them the first. I came to candidate for my man. Somebody said, is he, a, is he an elephant? No. Is he a donkey? No. John, John the Baptist said, behold the lamb. My candidate is the lamb of God. His name is Jesus. His name is, his name is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And if you don't like him, don't worry about it. You didn't vote him in, and you can't vote him out. He wasn't even elected a king. I feel like preaching today. He wasn't selected king. He wasn't appointed king. He was born king. King of the Jew. King of the Gentile. King of the left. King of the right, he's king of heaven, king of kings, and lord of lords. I wish somebody saved would praise him. I wish somebody who loves him would give him glory. Let me finish this. What is sad is that the Samaritans missed out on the redemptive power of Jesus simply because he was not wrapped in their favorite package. And the text teaches us that the prejudice of the Samaritans hindered the power of God from breaking completely through in their life. I want to ask you a question as I begin to close today. Is your prejudice preventing you from walking in all that God has for you? I'm not waiting on a response. I'm letting it settle. Can you accept that your next blessing may come through someone who you are prejudiced against? Yeah, I see you squirming. What if God was trying to use someone you can't stand to reveal the content of your heart? Prejudice has a price. What is the price of prejudice? The price of prejudice is that you are essentially demanding God show up in the way you want him to show up in the people you want him to show up in, in the place you want him to show up in, at the time you want him to show up. And if he doesn't, you are actually willing to reject the work of God in your life simply because God uses someone that you have a predisposition against in your own heart. What is the response when you are rejected because of prejudice? When someone is prejudiced against you, 
and they demonstrate that prejudice against you. What is the response of the church? I'll tell you what the response of some church members is. It's found here in the text. You can see it. You have James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They go to do the work of the Lord and to prepare the village for his arrival. And when they are rejected, they come back to Jesus. And as the, as the original members of the first church of Jesus Christ, they look at Pastor Jesus and they say to him, they rejected us. Why don't we call fire down and kill them? Now, I thought these were the sons of Zebedee. It sounds more like the road warriors from WWF. Back in the day, here's essentially what they're saying. Kill everybody different. Get rid of the people who don't believe like us. Kill every, kill them. They rejected us. Judge them. This is where I knew it'd get tight. What happens when people who are different than you, who reject you in some way, what happens in your heart and in my heart reveals what spirit we're of? Can I say something to you today? There are some things about certain groups of people, even in the church. I don't mean our church. I mean in the church general. There are some people in the church, I do not understand how they believe what they believe. It bothers me. It troubles me. I grieve. I weep. I'm brothers with these brothers and sisters but they have a different way of looking at things than I do. And you, if you're being honest today, there are people in your life who believe differently than you. And if your solution for getting revenge on the rejection and working through your differences, if your solution is kill them, you are not operating under the Spirit of God. In fact, like Jesus told James and John, you don't even know what spirit you're speaking by. Jesus looked at them and said, you don't even know what spirit you're operating under. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. How can you call fire down on people that you are sent to save? Thank you, Holy Ghost. Earlier in my life, I would think at times there's no way for God to heal all this division in the church. And there are some people who actually say silly things like there is no division in the church. Are you kidding me? There's no division in the church? And we're more known for being, and I mean the church in general, 
The church is more known for being a white church or a black church or a gospel church or a social church. You, come here, give me this camera with a red dot on it. You change cameras. <laughs> you, sir, don't get to determine the message of the church or the mission of the church. Jesus already did that. And if you're not following the prescription that Jesus gave, you are not faithful in leading God's church. And I'm calling this house to be reminded. that we don't select our churches because we all look the same, think the same, or even worship the same. What we've been called to do as the people of God is prepare the way. If they reject you, if they reject our message, if they reject us, we don't breathe fire on them. You know what you do? Shake the dust and you go to the next place and the next assignment and you keep obeying God. Here's what's crazy. These Samaritans rejected Jesus. James and John want to kill him. Jesus doesn't follow their advice, thank God. He rebukes them. Do you know why he didn't kill those Samaritans? Because he knew they had a future. He knew they had a future. And it would all happen with one woman at a well. If I kill them now, they'll never come to an understanding of my love for them. They didn't receive me this time. But I'll be back. You know why I want to preach the truth in love? I want to preach the truth in love for the people who've heard it, never heard it. But I want to preach the truth in love every Sunday for the man or the woman or the leader or the church or the pastor who's heard it but rejected it. And they need to hear it one more time. God's going to visit Samaria. God's going to visit people who have rejected him and rejected you. And what I don't want to do to those who've rejected me is be in the way and hinder the next time Christ comes to try to reach them. So I, I recognize I'm in a multicultural church. You know why some pastors don't have to preach this message? Because when they look out there, everybody looks like them. You don't, know the, you don't know how freeing that is when everybody looks like you and thinks like you. Everybody voted like you. Let me walk around here. But when you're sitting in a place filled with the power of God and with people from all kinds of streams, 
The only thing to do is preach Christ. Preach Christ. Because he's the solution for all the junk that you're wanting to be fixed in this. You say, Pastor, it ain't him. It's something else. It's another, it's another program. It's another plan. It's another meeting of preachers who come to, I've been to all of them. We sit in rooms and we pontificate about how we're going to fix things. We ain't fixing nothing. If Jesus don't show up and fix it, it won't ever be fixed. And if we'll let him work through us, we will become the agents of change and transformation. We will occupy till he comes. We will be a church of every generation and many different nations and cultures and races and people. Why? Because if Christ is the king, he will gather now just as he will gather then. When we get to heaven, we will not have a corner for them and a corner for them and a pew for them and a place for that denomination and a place for that culture. When we get there, there'll be one throne and we'll circle it. And with the elders who fall down casting their crowns, we will sing worthy. And what I want you to know is that if that will happen in heaven, it will happen here on earth. And it may not happen everywhere. I'm not called to pastor everywhere. I'm called to pastor here. Why are you screaming? Because I hope you're hearing me. I wake up with this burden. I lay down with this assignment at night. Stand with me. This is not some job. Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. So what, Pastor, what do you do now when you run into? See, I understand being ecumenical. I recognize there are all kinds of flavors in the kingdom of God. I can sit down with Episcopalians and Presbyterians and Methodists and word of faith and word of doubt. <laughs> Pentecostals and charismatic. I can sit there. I do that. I'm grateful for those opportunities. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, when you encounter someone who believes different than you, who sees life perhaps different than you do, do you run them out of your village? Do you sanitize your village from people who are different than you? Because I'm Samaritan and that Jew is not walking through my town. That's what they said. They said that. This is our Samaritan territory, bless God. He's not coming through our village on his way to Jerusalem. Who does he think he is? He's the son of God. Shut up. And the solution and the help for some of the people you don't like is supposed to be the love of God manifested through you to the people you hate the most. You don't like them. 
You don't like their differences. And they may be a sign to take you from where you are to where you're supposed to be. So they reject Jesus. What does he do? Does he kill them all? No. He says, pack up, boys. We're going to the next village. Because you may reject him. But somebody else is going to be waiting on him. So here's my prayer for all of us today. I'm going to let this just simmer a moment in your heart. I knew when God gave me this message this week, it would be challenging and to some even offensive. And there are people who would say this is asinine and totally crazy that in the middle of a growth spurt, you would preach such a controversial thing. Thank you, Jesus. Who, when the crowd got bigger than it had ever been, looked at the crowd in John 6 and said, unless you eat my flesh, and you drink my blood, you have no part of me. And many of them packed up their bags. Read your Bible. They packed up their bags and walked off and never followed him again. You know why? Because he refused to have a crowd that was not converted. So I, I thought about this, and it didn't cross my mind till this morning as I made my final preparation of my notes. We're approaching voting season again. I hate it. I said, I hate it. Why? Because you don't like government? No, I'm called to government. I was just in Nashville last week and I opened up the Senate and the Congress of the state with prayer for their general session. I'm called to government. I know that's an anointing on my life. I hate what politics do to the people of God. You lose your mind and you lose your love. You start championing your candidate, well, when you come here, I'm going to champion our candidate. His name is Jesus. That ain't good enough for me. That's all I got for you. Because the joker you're trying to get me to talk about can't help you, your mama, or any of them. There is only one that can set you and your house free. There's only one that is the prince of peace and sits on the circle of the earth who sits high and looks low and is good to all of us. His name is Jesus. Oh my God, I got so much in my heart. John 19 said that there were two thieves. Two thieves hanging on both sides of Jesus. One on the left and one on the right. And the man in the middle was Jesus. And I thought about that. I preached that two years ago. Jesus was in the middle. A thief was on the left and a thief was on the right. They're all thieves. Tick them all off, Wallace. I think I will. They're all thieves. The left and the right are all thieves. There's only one who'll never take anything from you. There's only one who'll give you peace that passes understanding. There's only one that'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. His name is Jesus. So does this mean you agree with everything? No, I disagree with a lot of it. And I'm going to preach about what disagrees with the Bible. And I'm going to tell you we need to have a value of life in America. In the streets and in the wombs. But I'm not going to wait for foul fire to consume those who differ. 
I'm going to pray for love to reinvade their heart over and over again. Lift your hands if you needed this message today. Not a rhetorical question. If you receive it in your heart, can we play, Seth, uh, um, that old song by Hezekiah Walker? I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is His will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. You are. Let me tell you where this came from. The series came from the Lord in prayer. This message came. I was watching a segment. I believe it was 1992 of Promise Keepers. I don't even know how I got it. I know how I got it. The Lord sent it to me. I was watching Coco Melon. <laughs> true story. This is true. Some of you parents in here of toddlers, you thank God for Coco Melon's anointing. I was watching Coco Melon with Genesis this past week. Somewhere out of nowhere, Joseph Garlington showed up on YouTube, and it was him introducing E.V. Hill. How many remember Dr. E.V. Hill? If you've never heard Dr. E.V. Hill preach, you've got to go home and Google E.V. Hill, one of the greatest orators and preachers of our time. And I watched that whole message. Devin came in and said, what are you watching this for? This is 1992. What is this? Where did you get this from? I said, the Lord is talking to me, Coca Melon. Okay, just get off me here, okay? Let the Lord work. I was watching E.V. Hill preach to 60,000 men in Northwest America. I believe it was in the in the dome up in Seattle. 60,000 men, white, black, Hispanic, Asian. 1992, they were preaching these kinds of messages about unity, reconciliation, and coming together. I don't hear those messages no more. I don't hear those messages no more. I hear all sorts of divisive rhetoric from the pulpit. Somebody said, are you woke? No, I'm weary. I ain't woke. I'm, I'm wore out. I'm wore out with the problems that America is facing have started in many pulpits. Because we preached our culture, we preached our colors, and we haven't preached Christ. S 
can we just rededicate our life to demonstrating his kingdom and preaching his gospel? And yes, we fight for one another. Yes, we fight injustice. Yes, we celebrate the cultures and the differences. But at the end of the day, this is not about me or you. It's about him. That's your, that's your testimony. Just throw up your hand one more time. I want to pray for our church. And then I'm going to open the altar for people to give their heart to Jesus. Lord, don't ever let our church be a place where prejudice is more prevalent than your presence or your grace and your mercy. Don't ever let us be a place where we get sabotaged by another message and lose the power of the gospel. Lord, I pray for anyone in this place today who has prejudice in their heart and racism in their soul. Either through the transmission of family racism or even cultural racism and prejudice, however we got the prejudice, move it out, Holy Ghost. Because we want to be a place where streams come together. Streams from nations and tribes. Streams from different creative ways of worshiping Jesus. Streams of different generations of grandmas and grandpas and sons and daughters. Streams of colors from the nations. My heart hurts today for you, Lord. Because the prayer you prayed was, Father, make them one as we are one. So that the world may see and know. And sometimes the world doesn't see and they don't know because of how screwed up we get it in the church. Today, I can't fix every place. I can't pray for every place, but I can pray for this place. Let us be a people who love one another. Lord, we want you to save the fire. Don't, don't pour it out on our enemies. Don't pour the fire out on people we differ with. We believe you want to save them. And I pray, God, that you would use some of us to save people we don't even like. May it be through our love and our prayers and our demonstration of your kindness. And I pray, God, you would give us a message for this generation in Jesus' name. Now, if you're in this room and there are some in Athens, just bow your head and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor Kevin, I'm not right with God. There's some stuff in my heart that I need Jesus to take care of. And I want you to pray for me, Pastor. Pray with me today, Pastor, because I, I need to give Christ my life and I want him to save me. Maybe you've known Christ and you've followed, fallen away from him and you, you haven't been close to him and you've walked away from God. Or maybe you've never known Jesus. If your heart is cold and if your sins be many, and you want him to forgive you and save you. And if you're a backslider and you want to come back home and you want him to restore you, I'm going to count to three. I don't care if you've ever known him or if you've never known him. If you want to know him, lift your hand when I say three. I want to pray with you. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you over there. Thank you. 
Thank you back there. I see those hands. God bless you, sweetheart. You can put your hands down. Would everybody look right here? Here's what I want you to do. This is just how we operate. And I just don't ever want anyone to feel so lost in a big room like no one cares. I want you to ask the person on your left and on your right in just a moment, do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when your neighbor asks you that question, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to wait on anybody who wants to give their life to Jesus. And I'm going to believe that God is going to save the lost and reclaim those who have fallen away. If that's you, when your neighbor asks you that question, just nod your head. Come meet me right here. Ask everybody around you right now. Ask your neighbor on your left and right. Do you need someone to go to the altar with you and pray? If you lifted your hand or you should have, when they ask you that question, just come meet me right here. Come on. God bless you for coming. God bless you for coming, friend. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. People are coming. God bless you for coming. God bless you for coming. Come on. They're, they're coming. This is why we came to church. We're so thankful for the grace of God. If you're thankful for the grace of God, just lift your hands and thank Him for grace. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. Come on. They're still coming, church. Come on. We, we just, we really believe this is the... <laughs> at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. Prayer leaders, come help me pray. It was there. Pastors, come help me. That I received my sight. Everyone else, stretch your hands toward the altar and pray for them. Would you do that? Pray for them like you wish someone would have prayed for you the day you came to the Lord. Sing it once more as they pray. Come on. At the cross, at the cross. Come on, sweetheart. They're still coming. This is wonderful. Burning on my heart, rolled away. It was there. I received my son. And now I am beyond. One more time. They're praying. Come on. At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there I received my sight I want to prophesy before I walk off this stage. I see the Lord bringing men from this nation together again. Leaders who are more kingdom focused than they are anything else. And I see the Lord connecting hearts for a kingdom purpose. And may the Spirit of God begin to break and cancel every assignment of the enemy to keep the kingdom people separated and divided. I declare over that assignment to my enemy, your plan will not prosper. It will not work. The Lord will have a people 
and they will lead in this generation. And we declare that the Spirit of God is rising up to restore and redeem waste places. And I see the Spirit of the Lord saying, you will be repairers of the breach, restorers of paths to dwell in. Father, we ask you right now to release. I'm asking for it, Lord. I thank you for it in advance, God. Release a spirit of momentum and grace on a people who have an assignment and an agenda for streams to come together that the river of God may flow in our day. If you believe it's going to happen, I want you to praise God all over this building before we leave right now. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I know you want to go, but can we praise him that the lamb and the lion of the tribe of Judah is still worthy. I'm going to let you go tonight at 6 p.m. It's going to be powerful. If you were here last Sunday night, how many can testify that it was heaven on earth last Sunday night? Get back at 6. Bring somebody with you. I love you. Go in the peace of the Lord. And may God bless you as you leave today. Listen, I believe that God is speaking to hearts right now. If you've watched this message today and something said, brought strength to you and built you up in your spirit, gave you hope for tomorrow, I thank God that in this day and hour that we're living that there is a word from the Lord. And the Bible tells us we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need the word of the Lord. And today this word, I pray, has produced faith in your heart. You want someone to agree with you in prayer right now. I want to take this moment to pray with everyone watching because I believe God's going to meet needs today. If you're lost and you feel like you're full of hopelessness and sin, just call on the name of the Lord. If you're sick in your body and you need him to touch you, you just call on the name of the Lord. If your family's falling apart and you need God to rescue your family, I want you to know there's a miracle for your family, for those of you who are watching today. Let's pray together. Father, move by your spirit right now. Someone's reaching out to you in faith, God. They need a miracle today. They need you to turn their situation around. I thank you that there's no impossibility. There's no problem too hard for you to solve. There's no mountain too big for you to move, Lord. Do it for them today. We agree together in prayer in Jesus' name that lives are being changed right now by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Be blessed. Check us out on kevinwallace.tv, and I'll see you next week. God bless.